It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pre edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week we talk sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. Um, and of course, we've got a gambling segment in the segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Hit up the Twitters at, and the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. As always, this podcast is presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Uh, Rick, um, I know this is probably not on the docket, but uh, I, I will tell you this. Phil Castellini again put his foot in his mouth over the weekend, um, calling the Reds a nonprofit and basically pleading poverty. He is really lucky. I mean this sincerely. That the that, that the good vibes the Bengals are sending out really overshadow that cat. He just needs to shut up. That's a great point. He is very fortunate that no one's talking about this right now because it, the Reds just don't matter at all in the Cincinnati sports landscape during football season. So it could have been a lot worse. But when will this guy learn? I don't know. That- Maybe he isn't best in a public speaking role. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the funny part was we were trying to figure out who could be the f- spokesperson for this organization because it's certainly not Nick Kroll because he's about as, as exciting as watching paint dry. Old man Castellini, they don't trot him out in public and rightfully so. Phil is, a, is an abject embarrassment. David Bell's a bore. I mean, they are a, they're a mess. Well, I don't think we're breaking news on that front. So. Yeah, no. <laughs> I just I, I wonder if he thought he was getting a sympathetic ear there and that somehow, some way, his speech wouldn't get out to the public. Does he not know what age we live in today where everybody's jotting something down or taking pictures of things? I just don't understand why he doesn't pick up on where he stands from a, a PR I standpoint right now. Like, why, why would you not go out of your way? to try to do some things to build up goodwill and, and maybe point and laugh at yourself and be like, Hey, yeah, I screwed it up. I, I made some dumb comments. That's not who I am. Let's move on from it. Let's, let's laugh at my mistake. And instead it's like, I'm going to keep doubling down on it. Yeah. He just doesn't get it. Clearly. Crazy. Crazy. All right, skinny. Let's talk about something that's actually relevant, which yes. is the Bengals. They will travel to Buffalo to take on the bills in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs this Sunday. We did a full recap of last Sunday night's 24-17 win over Baltimore on the same podcast feed you're listening to now, if you want to check that out. But Skinny, we have a few Bengals-related topics to get to today. The first one, I, I want to go back to the play that everyone is talking about, the Sam Hubbard fumble return for a touchdown. What was the coolest thing that came out of the aftermath uh, of Sunday night and that play? I, I, all of you guys have been talking to the players, the coaches. You did a great piece where you talked to all the different people involved and got their point of views and ended up being really good. But what was the thing that stood out to you the most now that you know everyone's kind of heard the story and, and saw what happened? Are there any other little cool nuggets that you heard along the way? The only one, and I asked Luana Rumo this, um, because I think that play also personified what this defense and epitomized what this defense is all about is – is literally fighting to the very last inch and and never quitting. And, and so I wrote a piece on Tuesday. I always do a thing called Tuesday Takeaways. I do three different topics after talking to, to coaches and, and the players that are made available to us on Zoom on Mondays because we don't have an open locker room anymore on Mondays. So um, I, I asked Lou that specifically. And he, you know, he, he, he said it, it really did because you think about – and I wrote about it this way. Think about the, the things that led up to the Logan Wilson punch out and the Sam Hubbard return. First off, you had Jesse Bates hustling to tackle Tyler Huntley at the two. Remember, that looked like a sure touchdown, right? Right. All right, so there's play number one. The next play on first and goal, um, Cam Sample jumps about as high as he can and barely gets a fingertip on the ball, and it falls incomplete, or Patrick Ricard walks into the end zone for a touchdown. 
On second and goal, Von Bell stones Gus Edwards in the, I mean, Gus Edwards has a head of steam. He's a big guy. And as, as Lou mentioned, he goes, those are big guys coming down. He'll block it. And Von just knifes through there and, um, and, and stones him a yard short. And then came the Logan Wilson punch out. That whole series really does, in my opinion, epitomize this defense. Those plays, all of them, a hustle play by Bates, a hustle play by Sample to jump as high as he can to barely get a fingertip, not giving up on anything. I thought that's what that, 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 that whole sequence epitomized this Bengals defense. It's a good point. And the play by Bates really didn't get enough credit in the moment. And, you know, the day after when everyone was talking about, oh, who was it? Jermaine Pratt. Was it Logan Wilson? Was it Sam Hubbard? All all the different people involved. Jesse Bates setting that whole thing up and not just conceding a touchdown in that situation was a massive, massive part of it. Maybe the the most important part of it. Yeah. And that's where, you know, they've been so good in the red zone over the last couple of years and especially this year. Um and I think that's kind of what they're about is, is when we talk about it, they don't mind giving up some yards, but they're not going to give up that final inch. They're not going to, they're going to turn seven into three. They're going to stop you short. Um, I, I just thought that whole sequence is all, all what this defense is about. Are there any other plays that come to mind for you when you think about iconic moments in Cincinnati sports that would rise to this similar level? It's a good question. Um, Eric Davis's home run in game one of the 90 World Series, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the first one that comes to my mind when I think of recent big moments that have had people talking and like we have nicknames for it and everyone can recall it and you know exactly what you're talking about if you just say one word is clinchmas, the Jay yep. Bruce home run. Yep. But it's like that's just to qualify to get in. I mean, it's not in the playoffs even. Yeah, that's where I think Eric Davis's home run kind of set the tone for that whole series and that sweep over the athletics. How sad is it that? Uh, Todd Frazier's home run derby when actually was one of the things that popped up in my mind. I mean, I, I didn't too. I didn't actually big... entertain it and, and put it at right. that level, but it, it's sad that it's one of the things when you're trying to think of an iconic sports memory from the last decade plus, that that's one of the things that actually comes up because there have been so few of them. Yeah. Pete's 4192, obviously, um, certainly in, in that, in that mode, but now we're talking, we're going back almost four decades for that to, to have happened. It kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Just how, Big play that yes. was, and how meaningful it was to the city. No question. And the other part too, Rick is, um, and I said this on a radio interview, I think in Lexington uh, yesterday, is in Cincinnati. It feels like we all have this feeling of of dread when it comes to sports teams in this town. That, that the shoe's going to always drop on on this on this area. And there's been a lot of moments where that's happened. And think about that moment where Tyler Huntley, if he gets in, and it's just my opinion. Um, and they go up 24-17, I don't think the Bengals come back and win. And so for once, the ball did bounce the correct way at the right time, the exact right time, and turn it into something special. And and maybe maybe that maybe things are starting to even will start to even out somewhat in that regard. And there's a distinction there because I think fans have gotten over the we're the bungles, woe is yes, us, it's I'll always that. Be terrible. Like I think people have gotten past that and realized. This is a good team. This is a franchise that is doing a lot of the right things. We don't have to freak out every time they lose a game or or something goes wrong anymore, at least not as much as you used to maybe. But there's still a difference between that and benefiting from a play of that nature where it feels like, okay, your best shot is you go down here and at least you still got Joe Burrow with 12 minutes to go and and you got a chance to, to tie this thing back up. This was just 
it's the type of play that always happened to the Bengals. It right. felt like in the past, right. not for the Bengals. And, and I think that really resonated with a lot of fans. Cause I, I know there are a few different people that had some tweets out there and things that, that went really viral after the game that, that said something to that effect. And I think it's because so many Cincinnati fans felt that way of just like, this is surreal. It, it doesn't feel like this should ever happen to us. Right. Right. Let's move it forward to the, the bills Bengals matchup. Now, when you look at the first drive and a half of that Monday night game between the Bills and the Bengals, the Bengals went right down and scored, and then they were driving the ball pretty much at will again when the whole situation with DeMar Hamlin happened. Do you take anything from that quick start by the Bengals heading into this matchup? A little bit, but I, I, I Mo Agra asked me that same question yesterday in the, the segment I do with him every Wednesday. And I, I'll answer this kind of the same way. A, a little bit, but let's not forget, Jonah Williams was the left tackle that night, and Alex Kappa was the right guard that night. So that that has to that has to be be brought out there first right. and foremost. I know we'll talk about the offensive line here in a little bit, but I, I asked Joe that yesterday, and he kind of downplayed it too. But I would think you take some confidence from that that hey, we found something that worked, and you know you can argue Buffalo could adjust to what they were doing, and, and probably would try as the game went on, obviously. But I would take some confidence from that, knowing that. We, we found ways to attack them, and we had even more ways to attack them as this game was going to unfold. I think that's where uh, I would take some confidence out of that if I was Joe Burrow, and he probably deep down does. Yeah, I think if nothing else, it's just the simple fact of in the back of your mind, you're thinking, our script worked last time. Yep. It worked so well. We carved right through them, and they had no answer on that first drive. And the second drive, it didn't look like they did either. So... I don't think it means anything overall, and, and it, it's a sign of anything to come in this matchup. But I agree with you that I think as a competitor, as a guy like Joe Burrow, who said this week that he never sees himself as an underdog. Great answer. It, it, it was a great answer. It really probably does stick in his mind a little bit to some extent of just like, oh, we, we can do this. We can we can do what we want against these guys if we play to our potential. Yeah, and I, I think that's what you get out of that. I think you, you do deep down have the confidence that what you were doing was working and what you were going to do, maybe all the rest of the game was going to work. Okay, so another storyline kind of like that heading into this game. Are you buying into the idea that DeMar Hamlin is going to be introduced to the fans in Buffalo on Sunday and it's going to give the Bills some type of emotional advantage? I don't know about the emotional advantage, but I do buy into the fact that that's that's what's going to happen. And honestly, I, I it's the right timing for it, to be quite frank. He's gotten better. He's been at the facility. Um, you know, I, I I certainly think that that that's a moment. And obviously, it's against the team that that um, that the incident occurred with. It's is in in their stadium. So yeah, I think it will. I don't know if it brings extra juice or not. I mean, that, that stadium's crazy loud and, and rowdy anyway. Um, it's a great home field advantage for the Bills. I don't know if it adds to the mix, but yeah, I, I do buy into the fact that that certainly will take place on Sunday. If he's not on the field, they they have him up in a suite and, and take a shot of him in the suite and he's waving to the crowd. I, I can see that. It, it'll it'll bring some extra juice early on, but as you know in sports, it's that whole motivational thing. It, it lasts until you get hit in the mouth and you realize, <laughs> okay, now we're playing football. Yeah. It's it's great until T. Higgins catches a 30-yard pass right. on the first right. drive, and then it's like, right. okay, now what? You know, the, the crowd is quiet again. So, um, but but the other thing about that is how much more motivation would either one of these fan bases need than just being in a playoff game? Right. They're two starved no. fan bases. I mean, they're yeah. going to be as crazy as can possibly be, regardless, right? Yeah, right. No, there's no question about that. And two good football teams on top of it. So yeah, I don't I, I think again, you'll get a really electric pregame if that's the case. 
but it, it, it that stuff always wears off very quickly. I could have actually seen it backfiring to some extent had they had it worked out differently. Now, the timing of it is he's been out of the hospital. He's been right. going into the uh, the workout facility, seeing guys a little bit around the locker room each day. So the initial oh, good, he's back. We've seen him walk around. That's worn off on the guys. Right. So I could have yes. seen if this was like the first time they were actually going to see him publicly or something like that or in person, then there might have been a little bit of actual emotion and, and your sure. little shaken up type thing. Like, oh, yeah. man, that it really moved me. And maybe you're not as focused on, on the task at hand. But in this case, I think they've been seeing him now for over a week. And it, it's probably not going to matter to either of the teams on the field. Agree. All right, Skinny. You mentioned the offensive line. Let, let's talk about where things stand with the offensive line, who you expect to see play, and then also any other injuries that are out there lingering still. Yeah, um, so I I mean, Alex Cap is still in a walking boot. Um, and anytime you hear a coach say week to week, that's probably means at least another week. And he has said that about both Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa. So I can definitively say Max Sharping starts at right guard. Adenogy's obviously still right tackle because Lyle Collins has been out and is on injured reserve. I did see Jonah walking um, in the locker room yesterday. He had a light brace on his left knee, and, and he honestly was walking fairly normal to me. But walking and um, putting putting more weight on it with a 300-pound lineman pushing and shoving on you is a whole different thing. So I do think we're going to wind up seeing Jackson Carmen start at left tackle on Sunday too. Are there any other injuries out there still? Uh, the other one is Trey. Yeah, Trey Flowers. Yeah, Trey Flowers didn't practice yesterday with a hamstring, and um, he came out of the game on Sunday. So uh, I wonder if that lingers into the weekend as well. And he's kind of been a, a tight end stopper for them. And of course, you know, Buffalo's got a great tight end in Dawson Knox. So I think it's five or six straight games he's caught a touchdown pass in. So uh, missing him will, will not be helpful for sure, and that would probably press Dax Hill into a little more service and. Um, you know, Dax had a little penalty issue on, on this past playoff game. All right, Skinny, I'm going to put you on the spot, put your prediction hat on. Give me two guys to watch in this matchup for the Bengals. Two, two guys that you just feel it in your bones are going to have a big game or play a key role. Jamar Chase, for one. I, 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 I think he, he, is, he is big in big moments, and I think he comes up big in this game. Um, I, think he, I think he gets them a big play, at least one in this game. Um. I'm not going to say Joe Burrow because that's too easy because I, th- I think Joe Burrow is always great in big, big moments for sure. I'll go Jermaine Pratt. Something tells me he's going to come up with a turnover in this game, a takeaway in this game. I like the Jermaine, Jermaine Pratt one. Um, I'm going to throw out a different wide receiver that we haven't heard from much. I'm thinking Tyler Boyd has a big game in this one. And and don't forget, he, he did catch the touchdown pass in that uh, the first quarter. There's the, that. The game. And then I noticed, interestingly, when McDermott has been talking, and then also, uh, what is it, Jordan Royer or Poyer? Poyer Jordan Poyer, the safety, yes. Poyer, yeah, the safety. He has he has his own podcast. That's terrible. The guy's a total <laughs> drip. I mean, it is awful content. Um, but I watched a few minutes of it on YouTube, and both of them almost felt like they were going out of their way to not mention Tyler Boyd while talking about the Bengals' offense. Like they said, they have a great receiving tandem with uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. They talked about Hurst at the tight end spot. They talked about Mixon being better than his stats show. But both of them, at least, and I didn't listen to everything McDermott said over the course of the week, so maybe he mentioned Boyd in other interviews. But the interview I watched and then the, the Jordan Poyer podcast, both of them completely left Tyler Boyd out while talking about the Bengals offense. 
I'm just, you know, I, it's again, it's the playoffs. No one needs extra motivation, but I just have a feeling Tyler Boyd's going to show up against them. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. I, I like that. And again, he's the one that did catch the touchdown pass in the Monday night game. Yeah. And maybe, so they, maybe, maybe they forgot that. Yeah, I'm 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 looking at the the Tyler Boyd anytime touchdown props personally. That's a good one. No, I'm I'm, I'm that's, yeah, you'd probably get pretty decent odds on that. I would think you always do. He's he's always got great odds in that. I mean, understandably so with the Bengals' offense than sure. the way it works. Sure. But uh, but it's always a a reasonable high risk play. All right, um, skinny. And normally we would do our betting picks after all of our topics, but considering it's just going to be about this Bengals Bills game as our only pick of the week, let's go ahead and do that now. Last week, I went one and one. I had the over correct, but we both bet on the Bengals and they did not cover. You had the under. So I was one and one. You were 0 and two. I am 59, 53 and one. You are 52, 60 and one. Uh, Bengals are a five point dog at Buffalo this week. The total is 48 and a half. What do you like? I'm going to be a homer here. I, I this team, it, it, you know, it's hard to doubt them. They're now four and one in the postseason with a tough close loss in the Super Bowl. That if not for Aaron Donald not getting blocked, I'm not so sure Joe Burrow doesn't take him down to a game winning score in in that game too. So um, until they prove me otherwise, I'm going to take them. I'll go Bengals thirty, Bills twenty seven. Evan McPherson from thirty seven at the gun. And by the way. They lost that game last year, even to the Rams in the Super Bowl, by three points. Right. So a right. five-point spread against this team, that's just hard to play. Sounds Those like a lot. Five. Yeah, it sure sounds like a lot. With the way they've been in the playoffs, with them having Joe Burrow. I mean, I think everyone could see a scenario in which the Bengals don't win this game. But you start talking about the Bills have to win by a touchdown, basically. That's That's a little bit too much for me, even... Obviously, I'm biased in this situation, but even being as objective as possible, it still seems like a bad bet. Personally, I like the Bengals a lot in this situation, and I like the Bengals to win. I'm going to go Bengals 28, Bills 27. So I'm on Bengals in the over. All right. What was your total there? Did you have over? Uh, my was 30, 20, 57 was my total, 30 to 27. 30 to 27. So you're over as well. Yep. All right, Skinny, let's move to the college basketball side of things and going to try a little segment action here. It'll probably be terrible, but what the hell? Um, I want, We're going to call it Mirage or Reality, okay? Oh, I'm going to give you a trend with the team because we have some interesting trends going on with each of our local teams right now, some interesting results over the last week. And you're going to tell me whether you think that's a sign of things to come or if you think, nah, nah, that was just a one-off, all right? Yep. All right, the first one is what we just witnessed on Wednesday night, which was the upset in Chicago. DePaul knocks off number eight, Xavier, 73-72. to 72. Xavier's had a great season to this point, especially in Big East play. They were 7-0 coming into that game in conference. They had an 11-game winning streak leading up to it that was snapped. Skinny, is this a sign of the Xavier team coming back down to earth a little bit? Are they about to hit a rough patch and even potentially a late season collapse like we've seen the last few years? Or was this just a total blip on the radar? Total blip on the radar because I don't think Sully Boom and Kobe Jones can shoot any worse. <laughs> they were awful. They were awful. I mean, and for the most part this year, uh, at least one has been great. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a one-off. It happens in conference play. You go on the road, you lose a game, you leave yourself scratching your head. How did you lose to them? You lose to them when your you're two guards um, combined to go, what, four of 20-something from the floor? Yeah. 
And I, and the thing is, there are nights when everybody misses threes or misses open jumpers, right? You just don't have it. You're not dialed in for whatever reason. These guys missed multiple, and I'm talking two to three apiece minimum, point-blank shots at the rim that right. weren't really contested. And they, they just, something was up. They just were not having a good night on the offensive end, and, and it felt like there was actually a lid when they were going to the rim. So uh, I kind of agree with you that I can't see those guys playing that way again. Someone did ask me uh, when I asked for ask any anything questions, if we thought Xavier would start seeing more zone because DePaul played some matchup zone in this one and Xavier didn't play as well offensively. The thing about the matchup zone is it can cut down on ball movement, which is good against the Xavier offense because they're so good at passing the ball. But the reason I don't think you're going to see a lot more zone played against them is They've killed zone defenses this year. Efficiency-wise, they're way better against zone defenses well, than they've been and, against man. And, and probably part of it is, I mean, no matter who you put in the high post, be it Nunji or Freeman, they can knock that shot down, too, in, in addition to passing out of it. Right. Yeah, that's that's a great point. They're both passing really well. Fremantle's passed the ball exceptionally well this year, and, and particularly out of that high post spot. And they've been good in the high-low. They can shoot the mid-range jumper. Uh, and and the other part is then you've got to rebound against those guys out of the zone where you're not matched up to them. Well, and that makes them even more effective. The other part is it is, it has to be your MO two as a, as a team as you got, you know, I, I don't know how many teams in the league regularly play zone defense. Probably right. not many, right? Yeah. And, and I do think you probably, if you're playing a zone against the savior team, you probably want to do something that's a little more funky where you're taking away passing lanes, like be it a one, three, one or right. a matchup zone where you're not just letting them sling the ball around the perimeter and into the high post and back. And because they pass it way too well for that. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Cincinnati has won three in a row and four of their last five since that loss to temple, where we started wondering what was next for them. They most recently beat SMU 85-69 on Wednesday night. So, Skinny, what do you think? This winning streak for the Bearcats, is that a sign of positive things to come the rest of the way? I think it is, but I don't know if it means anything. I, I, I hate to do that because it's just that the league is just such crap that you're just not going to get enough out of those wins. But, yeah, no, I listen, I think the lineup changes helped. It gets Davenport coming off the bench, gives you some scoring punch. David Julius is playing outstanding at the moment. And and listen, you're kind of asking him to play outstanding every night, and I don't think that's going to happen. But in this league, how good do they have to be to win games uh, outside of Houston? Well, and that's the part that I think I, – I do think they're playing better basketball. I, I think they've made some good adjustments. And I, I think, like I said, I think, I think the lineup change was a good thing, good good thing, good move that, that, that Wes Miller did to put the extra big in the starting lineup and have at least a score off the bench. Absolutely. But then you look at the, you know, the whole quadrant system where they're comparing team sheets at the end of the year and trying to group your wins. And and that's how they decide the seeding for the NCAA tournament. Now they have zero quadrant one wins, zero and zero quadrant two wins. In fact, they haven't even played a quadrant two opponent this year. That's crazy. So all of their wins are against quadrant three and quadrant four teams. And it's like you look at this this winning streak they've had or even the last four or five that they've won. Wichita State is ranked 139 in the net. East Carolina is 224. SMU is 204. South Florida is 172. So it's a positive sign without a doubt. You, It's great to beat South Florida by 16 points. It's great that you absolutely smacked East Carolina around. But to your point, it's like, yeah, what what exactly does, does that it mean? mean? Like, right. can you turn around and beat Memphis at home and give Houston a game on the road? If that's the case, then... I'm really impressed by what they've done in this turnaround all of a sudden. 
without that, then it's kind of just like, okay, we'll wait for that Tulsa game. You'll probably smack them too. No, right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I do think it gives you maybe some hope if you can stay opposite Houston in the conference tournament of, of hoping somebody springs an upset or again, you only have to beat them once and maybe you pull it off. Uh, Cause Houston maybe at that point has literally nothing to play for. They're either one seat is wrapped up at that point um, and all those things. So maybe you get a flat Houston team and, and you, you get them on a neutral floor. But other than that, I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it means moving forward. All right, NKU split last weekend, losing at Milwaukee 80 to 75, and then winning convincingly at Green Bay 74 53. They are now part of a four way tie atop the Horizon League standings. What do you think about NKU at this point, Skinny? Do you think the the loss at Milwaukee and the inconsistent play and the struggles of Marquez Work and Sam Vincent are a sign of things to come and this team is going to continue to just play inconsistently? Or do you think Trayvon Faulkner coming out of a slump, Sam Vincent hitting four of five threes or four of six threes against Green Bay was the, the real trend here and they're going to start to turn the corner as they've done each of the last three seasons under Darren Horn during the month of January. Yeah, I would say it's 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 the real trend. I don't think this is the mirage. I think this is more of the reality because Sam Vincent couldn't shoot any worse for much of this season. And so you look at it and, you get, and, and if you didn't have anything to fall back on, you know, if this was his freshman year, you'd go, well, he's taking a big step up and he can't play at this level. But but he played at this level last year and he played very well at this level last year and he shot it well last year. I, for whatever reason, he was in a slump and maybe that's all he needed was one game to, to, to bust out of that slump. And so I I do think that this team is, is probably going to trend forward. I think the one part, and we've talked about this a bunch, is just all those road games at the end that they've got to take a toll. I would think at some point it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes down. And that's why we've talked a lot about it, but all these early games where you have a bunch at home and, and granted you were on the road last week when you lost to Milwaukee, but you want to try to take advantage of these early games as you much as possible to. because that stretch at the end of the year, it's not going to be as easy to win seven of your last eight or seven of your last night or whatever they've done the last couple of seasons. So uh, I do think that is important to note, but I also, to your point about Sam Vincent and already having a track record to kind of look back to, I'll one up you there a little bit with Trayvon Faulkner. The guy's been great for four right, years, right, and then all of right. a sudden, as a fifth-year yeah. player, he struggled to score or make any shots. He has been really good last weekend and and started to show signs of that even the weekend or two before. He's really been better since they moved him to the bench and started bringing him off there, similar to the Jeremiah Davenport situation that you were talking about. So to see him really lead them offensively last week and, and have a game where he scores 24 points and and shoots it well from the outside and is diving on loose balls everywhere, giving them energy, I, I tend to agree that I think Sam Vincent and Trayvon Faulkner can only go up from here. And you get those guys playing like they're capable of. Those are two of your best players. So that makes a big difference to go along with Marquez Warwick and, and some of the other guys that have already been playing pretty well for you. Yeah, agreed. And then finally, Kentucky has won two in a row over Tennessee and then now Georgia 85-71 on Tuesday night. Skinny, are the Cats starting to figure it out all of a sudden? Um, Yes, and maybe they did it by default. Um when Severe Wheeler did not play in the Tennessee game, and I'm not pointing to that as the reason, the only reason they won, they actually defended pretty well, and Tennessee did help them out by missing, I think, 1,233,000 layups in that game. They missed a <laughs> bunch of layups. But I, I do think the lineup that, that when you have Frederick and Wallace and Reeves on the floor, and granted in this game, Frederick and Reeves didn't shoot it great. They were just two of 10 on threes. 
but they chose not to double off of them for fear of them making threes. And what happens? Oscar Shibway goes for 37 and 24. Now, it shouldn't take a Herculean effort from him to, to beat Georgia, but it kind of did. Um, the question for me, though, is going to be moving forward um, when teams go back to trying to take away Shibway. And if Frederick and Wallace and Reeves are on the floor, they have to make shots. And if they do that, then yes, this team moving forward is going to round itself into being a, a dangerous team to face for anybody. Yeah, that 85-71 score against Georgia is a little bit misleading. Yeah. They ended yes. up winning big, but that game was in question for a good what, 30 minutes, 30 yeah. plus minutes maybe. Right. So, yeah, that that is worth mentioning that it took every bit of Oscar Shibway's ridiculous effort for them to uh, to win that one the way that they did. I think the one thing that, you know, people talk a lot about Severe Wheeler not playing and them starting to play better offensively. And I think it's not just about severe Wheeler can't shoot from the outside or he's selfish or those types of things. But I think there's an opportunity cost when you play severe Wheeler because he doesn't have the same feel that you'd like a true point guard to have a, a really good distributor. He's he's more of a score first and, and kind of gets tunnel vision when he starts to drive. And what I be, mean by that is like, he will get assists, but it's after he's done with his drive and the def defense has stepped up and then he's dropping it off to someone who's wide open on the rim for a dunk. What he doesn't see is when he comes off of a ball screen and there's a defender on the weak side cheating off the shooter in the corner or cheating off the shooter on the wing, he doesn't see that right away on that first or second dribble, quickly move the ball over there and get Reeves or Frederick, that quick open three to help get them going. And I think you've seen that a little bit more when he hasn't been playing that uh, the ball movement's a little bit better. And those guys all of a sudden are a bit more involved and, and they're making more of an impact. I think that's part of what's happening here. And it doesn't get mentioned as much. A lot of people just want to talk about the makes and misses and whether or not you can shoot the three. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's a good point. And it just, and it feels like when he's in the game that it, it just, it, it makes him play more high screen and roll a lot of times with, with Shibway. And, and I just, I think it's more fitting where you could play just four out one in and, and let him either muscle his way to the basket and one-on-one -on -one opportunities. And then he also has to become better passing out of the post. But if this is going to happen, um, you know, he can rack up seven to eight assists a game if, if he passes out of the post and these guys make shots. I just, for whatever reason, I, this is not about severe Wheeler being a bad player. It just doesn't right. fit. It just, for whatever reason does not fit. Yeah. I, I think that's, Really well said. It's all about fit in this case with Severe Wheeler, and he can certainly put up the numbers. And there are times where he is going to win you a game because of his ability to go score and get his own shot and, and make him play for you. But and we can, in the final five minutes, if you're up six to eight, I want him on the floor as a ball handler. Absolutely. But just overall, with the way this offense has worked this year, it has not benefited. And really going back to last year, I think that's probably the case as well a lot of times. All right. Anything else to add to the college basketball segment that I didn't touch on there? No, the, the, the Shibway 24 rebounds just is insane to me. It's a joke. I think the last time someone had, had put up those numbers, it was 2011, I read. Is that right? Oh, well, I, I, I've got um, one of my favorite reading materials for bathroom time. I've got the the NCAA tournament encyclopedia. through. It's got every box score, every game. I, it's an old book that I've had. It only goes up to like 91 or 92. But I love looking back at like games in the 50s and 60s, and you see – you see some great names. You see Wilt Chamberlain with 37 rebounds and Nate Thurman with 28 rebounds. And, you just, and Elvin Hayes with 31 rebounds. And you just laugh. And then you see this guy do 24 in this day and age. It, it's I think it's even more remarkable. I agree. 
That was just a ridiculous performance. It was. When you see those numbers at first, like had you not watched the game, you see those numbers on a box you're just like, is that a misprint? What's going on here? I mean, he had, I think, he had 11 or 12 on the offensive end alone. Just a joke. All right, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. First question is, would Skinny rather spend a weekend at the Harbaugh or Hurley family reunion? I think the I think the Hurley family reunion. I I'll, I'll take that one. Listen, Danny Danny's a nut, but I I, I kind of like him. I I don't know why. I and and I can talk Bengals football with him, obviously too. That would be most helpful. And then yeah. I can talk to I can talk to Bobby about being on the floor for the shot and punch him in the face when because the the year that Leitner made the shot and he was the point guard. But I, yeah, the the hardballs are just insufferable sons of bitches. They really are. Well, and there's no chance of Tom Crean showing up to the Hurley family reunion. Good point. He's gonna he could be at the hardball one. That's a so. good point. That would be very disappointing. Yeah, that would that would really ruin it. All right, over to uh, some of the nonsensical questions. <laughs> Skinny, which fast food restaurant has the best value menu? <laughs> are you a, a, value, are you a menu. value menu guy? I'm not really. Um, I will say, believe it or not, I, I can I can make a meal out of a double cheeseburger and a medium fry from McDonald's. Well, I, I would hope so. That probably has like. 2000 calories. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying that back in the day I would eat probably I could probably eat three double cheeseburgers and now it's on oh, the yeah. it's on the now it's on the value menu and I so yeah, I I, can, I, I McDonald's value menu is pretty good in my opinion. I don't really and that's honestly it's funny you say that cuz it's about the only place I ever look for a value menu item cuz I don't want a Big Mac if I'm driving it's too sloppy. Quarter pounders too much and that, that gets sloppy. The double cheeseburger is just about the right size for me to be honest with you. Yeah, I think Wendy's has always probably been the top like burger joint in terms of yeah, no, value dude, menu a, personally. Dude, dude, my go-to burger from from a place is, is a is a Wendy's double with with pickle onion and mustard. I could do that five days a week if it if it was wasn't so unhealthy. Well, um, and they've always yeah. had the junior bacon cheeseburger, which is a, a cult classic that was always yeah, it always used to be ninety nine cents. I'm, now it's like a dollar something. Yeah, I'm always a double, double a Wendy's double guy. That, that, so I, I I I never really look at the value menu at Wendy's. I do it honestly. Do it McDonald's. Personally, though, the best Taco Bell. Still to this oh, day, sure. you can get things for like a dollar or two, and they're fantastic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't. Who was it? Somebody on on Twitter recently. You may have seen this. Tweeted out they had like a like a thirty something dollar bill from Taco Bell, which I'm like, that's I, impossible. One of everything. I mean, how do you? Yes, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like I hope you didn't eat all of that, guy. Although I guess if you see, I I always order the cheap stuff from Taco Bell because it's all the same things just wrapped differently and a, Dude, a different I, type I, of yeah I'm four crunchy tacos it's pretty simple for me yeah but I guess if you start doing like quesadillas or yeah. some of their other more pricey things maybe they are like five or six bucks a piece um all right what else we got here just uh, another kind of similar related question does skinny drink any soft drinks yeah not a, not a ton um I'm a like a like a Fanta orange or a orange crush guy. Usually um, I drank, I drank Coke. Like it was going out of style up through college. And then for whatever reason, I, I'll drink a Coke every once every month. Probably now we have Coke in the fridge. I just, I'm not a big soft drink guy. I, I pretty much got, got three staples of drink, Rick. Actually, I got four. I take it back. I'm I'm a big glass of orange juice guy. First thing in the morning. Um, that's usually no, no because, pulp. 
no pulp, of course not. No, no pulp. Um, coffee, water, and liquor. Those are pretty much my four go-to drinks. I, I I have a feeling the ratios on those are probably skewed, and your doctor would not be happy about. In nope, which not in the least. Exactly, not in the least. Yeah, I'm I'm just not a big pop guy. I, I I used to be big into it. I would drink the Mountain Dews and all the fully leaded stuff with all the calories in it. And then I was like, all right, this is going to kill me. So I quit drinking all of it for several years. And then I started working overnights and I got on Coke Zero. It's the only one I drink, but I am addicted to it now. I drink a lot. of. Yeah, I usually I'll, I'll get a I'll get a, a, a bottle of orange soft drink of some kind, usually Fanta, as I mentioned, or Orange Crush. Uh, if I'm on a long car ride, that's about the only time I'll do that. Uh, skinny, <laughs> I'm not sure if we're allowed to ask this question in 2023, but Tiffany Amber Thiessen or Jessica oh, yeah. Biel? Oh, man. Uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. I for agree. Sure. For for sure. Kelly Kapowski. Kelly Kapowski. And then what, what was her character on, on uh, was it 90210 or Melrose Place or one of those? She was on one of those two. Yeah, she was on it. She looked great, I'm sure. I did not watch. Yeah, no. Good looking, for sure. Although, i got to be honest with you, from Saved by the Bell days, I was more Elizabeth Berkeley. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, you can't go wrong with the Saved by the Bell cast. No, you really can't. Those are the first teenage women I fell in love with as a <laughs> 10-year-old or whatever it was at the time. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up with this one, Skinny. Uh, what's the funniest way you've seen someone leave their job? Um, this is this. I didn't see that. I did not see this happen, but it did happen at a former radio station that I was at. A guy who was a salesman, um, quit and I think he told them via email that he quit, but then he also urinated all over his boss's desk. Holy smokes. Where? (laughs) I mean, explain the office setup here a little bit better. What? What? yeah, he, he he did it. I think after hours, urinated all over his, his. That's why nobody could really prove it. But I was told that 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 was that was his sending sending message. And this was at where? What job was this? Uh, a radio, I, I, the radio station that I will not name. I will say, I'll say this: it's not iHeart. So he, I mean, a normal like office cubicle type setup. Yeah, he went into his boss's office and urinated on his desk. That's incredible. It is incredible. And uh, how did that get like passed down to the rest of the people? Did the boss freak out or I, I guess he found it and assumed that that guy did it. And urban legend is that he did it. <laughs> well, did like, did the guy tell you about it or other people around other, the workplace? Other, other talk people, about it? Yeah. Other, other people like okay. other sales, salespeople. And it got back to, to us. So yeah, that's, oh, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I don't think if I've seen anybody um, get it and, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I've seen a reaction from somebody getting fired, I, it's a terrible thing, obviously. Well, I guess it could be they walked out too, right? I mean, they don't have to necessarily get fired in the situation. You could have a hilarious yeah, walking out. True. I I mean, yeah, didn't you kind of do that? Um, yeah, kind of. I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard I, a story or two. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I flipped my my uh, key card at one of the guys that was riffing me in the radio business one day. I literally flipped. I think I hit, I hit him in the head with it. That's assault, brother. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, all right. That's all I got. All right. We will be back uh, sometime on Sunday evening into Monday morning with the Bengals postgame podcast. I'm heading up to Buffalo. 
I'm riding along with Jay Morrison and Paul Daner Jr. Uh, that should be quite the road trip for us. Six and a half hours up, six and a half hours back. But hey, uh, don't play left, right, center with those guys. They are some oh, sharks. Oh, believe it or not, that was the first thing that Paul told me was he's bringing the dice. So we're going to have ourselves a good old left, right, center game on the way up there. Uh, on one hand, I'm, I'm bummed that I'll be missing out on the great company. On the other hand, I'm glad that I'll be able to pay my mortgage next month. Right. Yeah. Your name kind of came up when he when he brought that up. He said, do you want to invite Rick along just because he's such a patsy in that game? I'm like, it, there's no patsy. There's it, no rhyme or reason to left, right, center, bro. It, it is impossible to be bad at that game, and I'm somehow yeah. the world's worst player. Yeah, that was that was quite the trip we took to Indy that year for the playoff coverage. and You got tagged along, and we stole all your money. Yeah, I, I lost that game literally like 15 to 20 consecutive times. It was incredible. With it only, really was what, incredible. three or four people playing? I mean, yes, yeah. it was almost yeah. impossible to do what I was doing. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was bad. I, I feel bad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've kind of recovered from that. And hopefully your bank account has too. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Good stuff. This All loop right, in a podcast has saved me. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. All right, thanks for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions as well. This has been a Skinny Podcast, the weekly vote edition presented by Ryan Key for the First Community Mortgage.